Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are going to continue on having a little fun after last week's good question and answer idea that Kevin had come up with. Um, and then we'll, next week, we'll start working back on review of the 2023 season. But, uh, Kevin, it used to be a little bit ago that I, I did a segment with Steve Montgomery on the show that I was doing it with him called Good, Bad, and Ugly. And he would tell me something that was good, something that was bad, and something that was ugly. We're going to do this a little differently tonight where um, I'm going to give you a topic and you're going to tell me whether that thing is good, bad, or ugly and why. But first, Kevin, uh, how are we doing here tonight? Uh, I'm doing good, bad, or ugly. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about right there. So, Kevin, let's begin here. You know, point streak is always one of the funnest topics around the American Association because some love it, some absolutely hate it. So tell me, point streak and its uh, operating system here for the American Association, is it good, bad, or ugly? Uh, I would say it is goodly ugly. <laughs> So why do we think that, Kevin? How do we think that? Well, it's good because in keeping with modern technology, if you do have the Point Streak app on your phone, if you do have the American Association app, it is a good way for us to keep continual tabs on all the games going on every night when we can only physically watch so many at a time. You know, the uh, the one thing I would, that I, I give a kind of an ugly mark on, Kevin, is I don't know, I mean, I, I, I've been watching this thing for nine years right now, and, and I, ten years now, I don't really understand what the heck the deal is for extra innings. It always seems that any time a game goes in the tenth inning or whatever, one batter winds up getting all the statistics stuff on there and trying to decipher that thing to figure out exactly what happened in an inning. If you weren't watching that specific inning, it's very crazy. I don't know why that hasn't been fixed or how somebody gets it. Maybe it's operators aren't getting it or whatever because it's too complicated, but uh, that that part of it is really ugly to me. I, I don't get that, what well, the deal is with that. But. I think you hit on it. I, it a lot of it is operator usage i've seen i know there is a way for them to get around the phantom runner the ghost runner whatever you want to call the runner at second base courtesy runner what have you i guess there is a way to put that runner in where it's not going to cause complete chaos with point streak but it's a matter of getting on board and getting everyone to figure that out. You know, I've been around press boxes on the in on the road and you know, there's a lot of nights where I've seen it where it becomes a team effort where something's not right. I've seen broadcasters come out of their booth between innings and help the scorekeeper get everything resettled on point streak again. So you know, it's a, it's a system the league has chosen to use, and we don't get into the why, when, and hows. That's not our thing, but it's, it's what we got, and it's what I don't see why they're going to move away from it. So it's just a matter of dealing with the glitches and trying to get the best out of the system. 
I think you're right about that. Kevin, how about on-field mascots for teams this year? Good, bad, or ugly? I would say most part good, but my qualm, I love Jamie Zool. He's always been a stand-up guy. He's always been someone when I've gone to Fargo, I've always had good conversations with. I mean, and God bless him, but I think in his case, I think he's getting a little bit too involved being on the field between plays. I think the plays for mascots, entertainers, what what have you, is in the stands when the play is going on. I'm with you on that. And uh, I also wanted to say, I'm going to give a good on this one, Kevin, just because... uh, Loved that all those mascots came to the All-Star Game this year. I thought that was a pretty cool little touch that they all got together and, and made that happen this season. That made for, I think, a very entertaining kind of thing this season. Kevin, yeah, how about you? Know, it's, it's not Go every ahead. day you can say that. You, it's not every day you can say, say you stayed in the next a hotel room away from the slider from Sioux City. <laughs> very true. You're right about that one. Kevin, you know, I don't think you and I had one comment about this season, so I'm going to bring it up now. How about American Association umpiring this year, Kevin? Good, bad, or ugly? Hmm. Right, we're just uh, we're just trying to hit on all the topics that will get us in trouble <laughs> yeah, with yeah, the uh, J-Boys, huh? <laughs> I'm going to say it was bad. But I'm also going to preface that with something I will tell to anybody that wants to complain that the umpire in the league is not good. When you're an umpire, and you go to umpire school, you put the time into trying to learn your craft. The American Association is not your ultimate destination. If you're in the league, it's because, well, it's just like the players. You're either working your way up or you're working your way back down. You know, the, the young up-and-coming star umpires are usually bypassing partner league baseball. They're in affiliated systems and working their way up to the major leagues. So, you know, we just got to... We got to deal with the with the cards that we're dealt with, and know that you know these guys aren't intentionally trying to tank anything. But it does get a little frustrating. I, God bless them, because like I said, you know these guys are trying their best. But I don't know how many times this season I heard about difficulty with Nicholas Webb. You know, and we saw it in the playoffs too, and. I just hope I caught him on, on all, all his um, off nights, but it just seemed like if an umpire is doing a good job, you don't remember his name at all, or if he doesn't get hurt in all the weirdest ways possible, like with Marty Bauer, you never remember these guys' names. But boy, you know, Nicholas Webb, I just that name just came up a lot this summer. 
Yeah, you know, I, uh, we haven't heard directly from a lot of people throughout the league about, um, you know, how the umpiring was this season. But, you know, I did watch, I, again, you and I talked about the fact between the two of us, I think we watched uh, a thousand games. <laughs> we probably watched almost every game that occurred this season. I mean, I, I might have missed 50 or 60 out of the whole year. So um, it, it was quite a year. And, and I will say that uh, there was some nights I was kind of scratching my head about some of the things that I saw. Um, I realized probably the worst job on the planet, the worst job in sports has got to be an umpire or referee. So I, I'll give some grace on this and say, you know, I, um, I, I, I think these guys did a pretty decent job this year. So, Well, uh, I, 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 gave, I gave umpire a stab. I gave umpire a stab in slow pitch softball, and they have you go to this day-long clinic to try to learn the, the basics of umpiring and managing a game. And one of the first things they will tell you is that every call you make is going to make 50% of the people upset. Yeah. So right off the bat, you're, you're going to have to learn that you're not going to be the most popular person on the field. Kevin, let's talk about something that's come out the last couple of years. And uh, it's uh, a good buddy of ours, so we're just having a little fun with him uh, here tonight. But how about the Kevin McGovern grunt? What do we think about that, Kevin? Good, bad, or ugly? Well, I'd say good. (laughs) Because to me, (laughs) it's... To me, it kind of measures how many people are in the ballpark. If there's enough crowd noise when he is pitching, you cannot even tell he is grunting. You can't tell that it sounds like the finals of Wimbledon. But I saw him pitch a game in early August in Sioux City. Matter of fact, it was the last American Association game I went to this year. And yes, you could you could pick up the grunt quite audibly every pitch, but you know everybody's got their thing, and that's his thing. And I mean, look at his track record. Obviously, the grunt works for him. I always love how Kevin uh, Kevin finds a great angle on something, no matter what. Now we're watching for stadium attendance as part of that, which we'll return back to here in a little bit. Uh, how about? Kevin, how about Brian Torres appearing at the St. Louis Cardinals organization this year? Would that be good, bad, or ugly? Oh, I think it would be good. I can't imagine what would be bad or ugly about it. I think it's uh, this could be the guy that we could see skyrocket to through a system. I mean, you look at another guy that St. Louis took a chance on, John Nagalski, and Nagalski made it all the way up with the Cardinals and had a pretty decent stay in the majors. So I predict if Brian Torres can keep doing Brian Torres things in the St. Louis system, I think we'll see him playing at Bush Stadium in no time at all. Yeah, and you know, Kevin, speed will always get you a chance. And uh, the young man can run real well. He's a very smart base dealer, very smart just on the base pass altogether, pretty solid fielder as well. So, um, he probably will get a pretty decent shot, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he started out at double A, maybe even approaching triple A. They're talking about with spring training coming out, and then 
find himself in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform. That'd be pretty awesome this season. Uh, let's see. How about, Kevin, how about the prospects for Lincoln, Winnipeg, Gary, and Lake Country for next season? Good, bad, or ugly? I would say in two of the cases, good. And that would be with Lake Country and Lincoln because I thought both teams had flashes of being a very competitive ball club. Granted, you know, we're going to come next spring and it could be a complete shuffling of uh, cards with all four of the teams. But if we want to base it on 2023 talent, I would say Lincoln would be good and also Lake Country. Potentially bad with Gary and Winnipeg. I think that's a pretty fair call, and uh, um, it, we should be. It'd be interesting to see how much of an overhaul these organizations do, if anything. I think Lake Country was the one that was probably the most talented of the, those four teams last year, uh, and now Ken Huckabee will have an entire off season to work on getting a club that really fits into his his style there. So. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, uh, even with the bad with Winnipeg, there was, you know, there's flashes there. There is some talent on the pitching staff. And, of course, they got Max Murphy and Jason Cruz was a revelation. So you just got to wonder if they can build around that or if it's going to be the same situation as this year. Kevin, let's go with kind of a wild idea here. Uh, American Association looking to do some serious expansion. How about the idea of joining or, or merging with either the Frontier League or the or the Pioneer League? Would that be a good, bad, or ugly idea? Uh, that would be ugly. I you, you just can't you can't do it within with what how the leagues are set up. You would have to come up with a uniform set of rules for roster building. You can't just keep things as they are and expect Pioneer League teams to, with rookie league teams, to be able to compete with teams that have had AAA and Major League veterans on them with the American Association. And likewise, for the most part, the Frontier League is also focused on younger players too. So I... And the travel would just be brutally ugly. Kevin, how about this one? A, a topic that's near to near and dear to us because of the guys that we constantly listen to. But you got to hear a lot of these home run calls this season. So, broadcaster home run calls this year. Good, bad, or ugly? Uh, honestly, I don't really put a lot of stock into it, but I'd say good. I can't think of any reason why I'd go bad or ugly on it. Right on. Have a 100-game schedule, Kevin. How are you feeling about that? Should, should increase, decrease, good, bad, or ugly? I think you keep it where it is, but you maybe stagger the starts or stagger the days off or 
do something to I, I'm going to be hell-bent and I'm going to preach on this forever that I want to see a playoff system where the first round is best of three at one ballpark, just like what MLB is doing did this year. But then I want to go three of five in the second round and three of five in the championship so that we're seeing a true champion crowd. I'm not saying that Kansas City wasn't the best team. Not Let's say that, but by a long shot, but I just would like to have a decisive winner in the final two rounds. And and to do that, you may have to eliminate days off in the regular season or possibly start it a week or at least half a week earlier. You know, I have to tell you, one of my biggest complaints about baseball in the postseason, and I, and I get it, travel and, and everything related to it, but you ask teams to win four games in six days all the time during the regular season, sometimes longer than that. I mean, you, you might be a team has to go 10-3 and three over a 13-game stretch, 13-day stretch. And then all of a sudden you get to the playoffs and you're one day, then you're off for a day, then you're playing for two days, then you're off for a day, then you're playing for one day, then you're off for a day. And I think that kind of bolsters a team that just has three good starters. Uh, I think they had to have the playoffs. You could make them best of five and run them straight through. No days off. I hate. I know they'll hate the travel part, and I know some of complain about that. But I think you make it if the team that proves they can win is is the one that was the best team one through five in the starting rotation and one through 25 on the roster. So that's my soapbox, Kevin. I think they would look at that as long as you promised if there was ever a series with Winnipeg and Cleburne that you would ride the bus with one of the teams. <laughs> you darn right. I would happily do so. I'm not afraid. I'll even sit up by the bus driver and talk with them the whole time. I'm not afraid to do so. All right. How about, uh, Kevin, how about American Association pitching? What did you think about that this year, good, bad, or ugly? I'd say it was good. I thought there was pitching depth like we had not seen in a few years, and I think that's just due to um, rosters not getting poached by Major League Baseball like they have in the past where teams were able to, if the, the guys they had at the beginning of the year weren't getting the job done, there were more guys out there to try to bring in and and build a decent pitching staff. I thought the pitching got better as the year went on. I, you know, you look at the high ERA um, throughout the league. I think the, you know, the the league ERA was was it had to be about five and a half or something, or maybe five and a quarter. It was it, it was it was it was up there a little bit, but. Um, and maybe it wasn't that high. It could have been a little lower. But I think when you're looking at that, as you said, the, the pitching got significantly better as the season went along. You saw that in a soup ball that had an eight ERA through May and then was one of the best pitching staffs after the All-Star game. Um, Kansas City played pitched very well. Sioux City was very good. Uh, I think the numbers were a little misleading because early on, teams were just trying to figure out what they had. You're, you're spot on, but it got a lot better as the season went along. So good call there on that one, Kevin. You know, Kevin, uh, 
we, we've been harping on attendance a little bit. Um, but I, I do have to say, and, and this uh, something I found that was interesting is that the attendance has gone up each of since 2021 when they resumed after COVID has gone up each of the last two years, 1.549 million fans total this year, which was the most of the last three seasons. So I'm going to give you a thought here, good, bad, or ugly, American Association attendance, attendance post-St. Paul Saints leaving. I'm going to say bad because I think we've we've lowered the bar as far as what we expect all the attendance. It used to be the magic number. I mean, let's throw St. Paul completely out of the equation because that's just, you can even throw Kane County currently out. It used to be the magic number was 3,000. And now it just, it seems like we're we're happy if a team's drawing like eighteen hundred to two thousand. If you get two thousand a night, it's considered a good crowd. In the past, it was eh, pretty midland, but so. But that might just be this. Um, maybe I'm behind the times. Maybe it's just this generation where people aren't seeing going to a ballpark as a form of entertainment anymore. Maybe there's just too many other things in life to do and maybe live baseball just isn't the appealing thing in these cities like it used to be. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point, Kevin. I, that 3,000 seemed to be the magical mark at one point of where a team was uh, financially stable. It's a point you've made quite a bit over the last couple of months in particular, a very valid point. The, the average attendance this season for the games was 2,668. There were six teams that averaged better than 3,000 per game, six that averaged less than 2,000 per contest. And that was the number that stood out to me, Kevin, is number six in this was Lincoln at 3,087. Number seven was Lake Country at 1,936. No team averaged 2,000-plus fans per game. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of teams not drawing many fans here. I mean, that, that's 2,668 is a pretty good number, but uh, six teams less than 2,000 fans, that's, that, that seems like it's destined to be a money loser. Am I wrong on that? I mean, maybe I'm not, but it sure seems that way. I, we'd have to look at on a on a team-to-team -team basis, too, you know, numbers are numbers, but you look at a place like Lake Country and take their attendance, but of that, of the people who are there, how many of them are paying the higher price for all the premium seating that that ballpark holds? Maybe Very they're true. not getting 3000 but if 1000 people are paying, like, 30 bucks or more, be there, it makes up for not having the quantity of people there. Yep, that, that's a very good point. And I will say that between last season and this season, Sioux City was last in attendance the last two years, um, but did average 
a little more than 100 fans more per game than they did in the previous season. So that, that's a good thing. You know, the fans were coming out. Yeah, it is. That's a good thing. You know, that's the thing. You like to see the uh, teams trending up. I mean, you're not going to instantly go from 1,000 a game to 4,000. But, if you know, if you're doing all the right things, slowly but surely, you'll, you'll see improvements. How about this, Kevin? Uh, Sioux Falls playing at a new stadium in three years. Good, bad, or ugly? Well, good if it happens. Uh, it's just a matter of convincing that city that the downtown area will be a better place with a new ballpark. I just think that Lipton areas locally have just been pigeonholed too much by teams. You know, the people in the city have just seen, well, they're a losing team. They're uh, we're in an old ballpark. It's not it's not fun to go there because it doesn't have the amenities. Well, I don't think they're lend, I don't think they're opening themselves up to seeing what the future could hold, and it could just be a completely different atmosphere for Canaries baseball than what they're currently getting. And you know, and those guys work their butts off out there. You know, True North has taken a a big um, financial investment into the ballpark and the team. And uh, they, they want nothing but the best for the Canaries and the city of Sioux Falls. And you just wish you had see the city reward their loyalty. Let's give you this one, Kevin. How about American Association rivalries? Good, bad, or ugly? Oh, I think they're it's good. I mean, I mean, what 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 can be bad about a rivalry? There's some I just fun rivalries it, coming out. Yeah, it just, it just makes it more fun for the fans of the ballpark for us watching on TV from remote places. I just I think rivalries are great. You know, it's it, it's fun part of the post St. Paul era because there seemed to be an incredible rivalry building up between Sioux City and St. Paul since 2015 and there was uh, obviously St. Paul had an incredible rivalry with Winnipeg and Fargo and um, not so much but a little bit with Sioux Falls and then you have all these new teams come in and St. Paul going and you're kind of like okay we know that Kansas City and Sioux City hated each other and that was really bolstering, you know, creating that kind of a rivalry. Uh, Fargo and Winnipeg are always going to be two teams that didn't like each other, but you're just trying to figure out where, where the other rivalries would come from, and we're seeing some great ones with Milwaukee and Chicago. As you mentioned, Kane County and Cleburne have really risen up to become quite a heated, heated rivalry between each other, and um, so it, it, for me, the good part of it is that there's a whole bunch of new ones out there that are really starting to take hold, and that's making the league a lot more fun to enjoy. I think that whole Chicagoland area is just, with all the teams within that sort of a distance, it just, it's made it a lot easier for rivalries to develop between your Chicagoland areas and then throw in the two Milwaukee-based teams. You know, what's fun about it too, Kevin, and I'm going to give the fans all the credit in the world about this, because 
one of the things you and I have talked about for a really long time has been why the all-star game doesn't seem to be the big spectacle for, you know, American association hosts is because, you know, nobody really cares if you're in Chicago in their host in the all-star game, you don't really care about who came from Kansas city or, or Cleburne or, or whatever. It's, it's like th- those players don't mean anything. All you really care about is your maybe, you know, five or six guys you may know on, on your team, maybe a few more. And your club itself, you're not gonna, you're not looking for. Man, I can't wait, can't wait for Nate Sampson to come from Link, kind of thing. Um, but because these teams are so close to each other, and fans can travel so easily to go between Kane County and Chicago or Chicago Milwaukee, and they do. And if you watch any game on any night, you're going to see Chicago, a huge group of fans along the the dogs dugout in Milwaukee or Kane County or Gary or whatever, and, and any one of those other teams is doing that, and it, it really makes the rivalries more fun because the fans are into this, and they do know a play, opposing players really well because they get to watch them on, in their own, the other team's park on a regular basis, and I think that really has made that area a fantastic thing for the league. I, I, I don't know if there's another spot out there in that area that they could get a team into, but uh, if they had a, a six team in that Chicago-Milwaukee area kind of thing, I, I think the league would only get better that way. I'm jealous of those fans because they can see their team on the road quite a bit and and still sleep in their own bed that night. Uh, you know, when I started doing road trips in St. Paul, if I was going to go see them play in Sioux Falls or Fargo or Milwaukee or Sioux City, well, I'm booking hotel rooms. They don't have to. They can just drive back home after the game and be in their own bed. Yep. It's made it the fun rivalry why Sioux City and Sioux Falls were such a great rivals for so long. It's just an hour, hour drive up. Um, 24? Yeah. Um, no, 29. what's the highway? 29. 29, yeah. To get They're up by five. Man, yeah, my math terrible today. Um, Kevin, Kansas City has really established themselves as quite the dynasty, um, winning each of, you know, every other year now in, in three of the last five seasons that they have played. Um, it, good, bad, or ugly for the league to have a Kansas City dynasty like that? I would say if it continues like this, where they're winning like two out of every three years, I think it's bad because eventually teams just start thinking, well, why should why should we even get excited about the teams? We don't have a chance because they're going to win the, the dang thing every year. We saw that in baseball when it seemed like the Yankees were winning every year. That just people start paying less attention to the product, but also good because it you know when a team as good as Kansas City has been when they come to your town, it's a series we're looking forward to going to because you know you're going to be seeing a really good ball club and you're going to root that much harder for your team to beat them. I, I think that's the uh, the crux of this. That you know the the sweet sweet and sour part of this is that. If you're a fan who wants to see a bunch of former major league guys, when Kansas City comes to town, 
and he got to watch Chris Herman this year and, and um, uh, uh, Adubel and, and guys like that that you're looking at and going, man, look, these guys are playing Major League Baseball recently. That's that's pretty cool. And you're getting to you know see them up close, not 3,000 feet away in, in the upper deck of a stadium that you paid $25 for a ticket for. So it, it's kind of a cool aspect of it to it. But I, but I agree with you, Kevin. I think if this team winds up dominating, and let's be honest with you, this is what Joe Calfa-Pietri did. I think eight straight years he took New Jersey to the championship, se- championship series um, in the Can-Am League, and he takes teams to the championship. That's, that's what, he, what he does. So uh, it wouldn't be surprising to see this team continue to win. Let's give you one last one tonight, Kevin. I'm going to throw you a softball one because I know this is one that you're going to give me a, a, a spectacular answer to. So good, bad, or ugly, Kevin. Uh, Steve Montgomery and Bobby Post going out to celebrate the 100th birthday with a fan a couple weeks ago. Well, well thanks for... Um taking away my um my shout out. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do both at the same time. That's why I threw it out here for you. But yeah, I mean that 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 is great and that just shows you um, how involved the Sioux City Explorers are in the community and that's what made the news that broke shortly after we recorded our show last week just that much better that the that the city of Sioux City is working exclusively with the Explorers for a lease for next season. You know, everybody has kind of an impression of Steve as being a very hardened, gruff guy, and he does present that on the field, but always loves his community and just such a gracious guy. You know, I mean, 100 years is a big deal, and I think it seemed to me he was getting more out of that celebration than anybody enjoying him being there. I mean, he, he would just love to be a part of that. And um, hats off to Bobby Post and Steve Montgomery for doing that, Kevin. They are just fantastic guys. You know, it's amazing, too, that, and who knows, maybe it's because he's got a lease that runs through October where he's staying at in Sioux City. We obviously don't know, but, you know, a lot of managers, they get done managing with the season, and they're they're going right back to where they live. And, you're still seeing Steve Montgomery hanging out in Sioux City, even though he's got a home in Florida. Absolutely. And that was quite a shout-out for him, too. See, I, I gave you a twofer on that one, Kevin. You could answer the question and give me a shout-out at the same time. And, uh, Kevin, have you ever been around somebody who reached 100 years? Because I, I, I don't think I've ever known somebody personally that made that mark. I'm, I'm trying to think what an impressive mark that would be to make, to make a match there. I guess some days I feel like I'm a hundred. Does does that count? <laughs> it should. It should count. I, I thoroughly agree with that for you there, but uh, I, I don't think it does. No. <laughs> That's all right. Do I have a shout out for this week? I don't think so. I, I think I'm going to leave it on the one you had there. I think that's still pretty cool. And a shout out to the guy for making it to a hundred years. Um, I, I think that's a pretty impressive mark there. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with that there for tonight. Well, Kevin, there's no real other news going on around the league. We're in that dormant time out there um, where uh, everybody's kind of settled in to a little bit of their brief off season they get before managers start looking into signing guys. 
we haven't even seen those uh, obligatory, um, you know, 22 guys being offered contracts or, or things that that we normally come through there. So uh, we'll be looking for those things in the upcoming weeks. And uh, we get a little hiatus as we, as we head into hockey here. So um, any uh, any final thing to take us out here before we jump out of this week's show? Well, we did see this week that Pete Incavelia, um resigned from his post as manager of the Tri-City Valley Wildcats or whatever the heck they're called. And it was in order to be closer to his family in Texas. So read the tea leaf as you wish, but if I were a betting man, I'm thinking that we're going to see Pete Incavelia back in the American Association as manager of the Cleburne Railroaders. Yeah, I think that there was a show out there that predicted that recently. I can't think of what show that was, though, Kevin. You know, see what uh, that would be, you know, because I mentioned Mike Pinto. That would be an ideal situation for Mike to take over at Tri-City because he has managed many years in the Frontier League, so it would be a situation he's familiar with and maybe he's still got connections with some of his former players for him to come in and play for him again. Absolutely. See, it's a, a perfect situation for everybody. Win-win for everybody. That's what we're talking about. Well, that's it for tonight, folks. Uh, Kevin and I will most likely be back on 2023 review next week with somebody. We'll figure out who that will be. But uh, good, bad, and ugly is that uh, Kevin is the good part, and I get to be the bad and ugly this week. So that, that's that's where we'll leave it here. So uh, for Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Fanier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.